Warning, this episode contains brain food that will lead to improved emotional and social intelligence. Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven media that promotes well-being from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights diverse trendsetters and change agents who are the greatest contemporary thinkers and doers, devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology expert, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in optimal lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Thanks for joining me on today's show, where you will learn about a new holistic path to healing and lifelong vitality. My first guest is Dr. Rachel Carlton Abrams. Dr. Abrams graduated Phi Beta Kappa from Stanford University, received her MD from UC San Francisco, and a master's degree in holistic health from UC Berkeley. She is board certified in family medicine and integrative medicine. In 2008, she opened the award-winning Santa Cruz Integrative Medicine Clinic. Dr. Abrams treats many of the world's most influential people, from CEOs to billionaire entrepreneurs to Nobel Peace laureates. She has been voted Best Doctor in Santa Cruz County every year from 2009 to 2017. She's also the author of BodyWise, Discovering Your Body's Intelligence for Lifelong Health and Well-Being, and she is in the house today. Rachel, thanks for joining me on the show. My pleasure. Thanks, Lisa. So what does it mean to be body wise? Well, thank you for asking. I wrote the book Body Wise after being in practice for a couple of decades and seeing a lot of patients with very complicated medical problems. And my observation was that the ones who really were able to follow their own body's guidance, like really listen to their deep intuition, take in information, but filter it with their own body intelligence, by which I mean paying attention to the sensations in their body, to that sort of gut instinct that we all have in terms of what works and what doesn't work and when do they need to sleep and what do they need to eat, rather than listening to what everybody else told them to do, tended to get better. So I think being body wise is our birthright. I think we're all born with it. I think that we wouldn't have survived as a human species if we weren't body wise. It is that deep body intuition that tells you the plants you can eat and the plants you can't eat in the forest that helps you track animals in the wild that sort of is that sixth sense on you know that back of your neck when something is happening that's not safe for you. So being body wise is our birthright, but because our culture and our society is so overstimulating, most of us turn down our attention to all of our senses, including our internal sense of well-being or guidance. And this book is all about reawakening that because I think each of us is a miracle and able to heal ourselves much of the time. Not that we don't sometimes need help, assistance, diagnostics, etc. I mean, I am a regular physician and I use all of those things. But if someone really clearly knows what they need, wow, we have a serious shot at helping them feel whole and healthy again. I think the challenge for us as individuals is to really begin to tune into those needs. You know, those needs often get put aside in favor of work, family, obligations, things that we believe we should be doing rather than sort of turning our attention inward to really listen to what our body's telling us. Right. And, you know, this is, in a way, it's different than this we just need to, you know, take care of ourselves and not just take care of everybody else, which I'm sure you and I have heard ad nauseum. We both raised children. You know? uh-huh. um, this is really more like while you're raising your toddlers and working and doing way too many things because you need to or you have to or it's what you're choosing to do, that if in that process you listen inside to your needs, it's going to go a lot better. You know, I, I, I don't like to pretend, for example, that a woman with a young child is always going to get enough sleep because hello, 
that is not going to happen. True, true that. <laughs> that is just reality, people, or you're a medical resident, or you're working in the ER, whatever it is. You know, there's lots of reasons that your bodily needs are not going to be met all the time. But if you can pay attention to that and go, yeah, okay, I'm going to get a little strung out because I have this deadline and it's my daughter's birthday or my beloved's, you know, special event. And you keep in mind, ah, I can, I notice that I am really fatigued and I'm drinking caffeine to help with that. Then in three days, you can sleep longer at night or you can take a nap during the day or you can kind of turn down the volume on your schedule if you have that kind of control over your work. So I think being body wise is useful all along the way, especially in those super busy times. And I don't know about you, but I don't know that many people who are not really busy. Oh, we're all busy. We're all over-programmed and probably sleep-deprived. Yes. Well, I, I would say, and I do talk in BodyWise about the five fundamentals of health because there isn't a patient in my practice with whom I don't talk about in their intake. They're eating, they're sleeping, they're moving, exercise, sort of postural stuff, love and relationships, and a sense of purpose. I consider those the underlying fundamentals to well-being in all human animals. And of those things, the one that suffers the most typically in the United States, this may not be true all over the world, is sleep. Yeah. It's terrible. We are made to sleep eight to 10 hours a night some people, very few, feel well on six to seven, but most of us actually need an average of eight hours and it may be more if it's a particular stressful time and it's hard to get for lots of different reasons. It's sometimes hard to get ourselves to bed because we're busy and then there's the having quality sleep, falling asleep and not waking up in the middle of the night, which can also be a real struggle for folks. Because of anxiety, the worry, anxiety you know, of getting everything done, right? You've got, we've got a lot on our minds. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I say over and over again is you got to know, just like when you buy your car, you know, you may not understand everything about it, but you know, you've got this particular model and it has all these characteristics. And then if you go to a mechanic, they have to understand that you are in a human body and the physiology of your human body was set about 10,000 years ago right? So it was created to live a life where pretty much you slept when it was dark, you were awake when it was light, you were physically active all day long. You lived in groups of, eh, you know, 75 to 1000 people, no more, because that's what human animals were raised, were uh, developed for. And so you have um, you know, emergency arousal stress responses appropriate for a thousand people, not for 7 billion or 7.2 billion, whatever our current earth yeah. population is. So we live these lives that are out of sync. And I think that the thing affected most, even though all aspects of well-being are affected by that, I think that the thing that's actually affected most is sleep. So between, you know, electrical lights, God bless them. I mean, I am, I am not, you know, we should turn back the clock, girl. I really, I like technology, but we want to be intelligent consumers of the technology available to us. Um, and you want to have softer light at night that looks more like firelight or candles, not super bright light. And the worst offender are computers and cell phones, which many, many, many of us are looking at late into the evening or right before bed and then putting the phone down on the bedside table and setting the alarm on it. I mean, it's like uh, it's like you've got your desk from work because the phone has your email and your texts and all this, the work that you do right next to your head at night. And then we expect to yeah. sleep well, right? <laughs> it's kind of crazy. And then the light, the full spectrum or the blue light from the phone or the computer suppresses our melatonin substantially in a teenager who has two hours of screen time before bed. Literally, they will have an hour less quality sleep during the night. Yeah, it's important yeah. to put the devices out of the bedroom. We have a no devices in the bedroom policy in my house because it's just it does not promote good sleep. And sleep, interestingly, is the first place we cut from. I mean, this isn't a sleep focus show, but like when we have things we've got to do, that's it seems to be the first location where we chip away at time. And the second is exercise. Yes. And Unfortunately, I think sleep's the wrong place to take it from. And, and everybody has to short themselves sometimes, you know, that's life. But if you want the number one thing for anti-aging, it is sleep. And I'm, I'm a huge proponent of healthy diet. I'm a huge proponent of exercise. I'm a huge proponent of loving relationships. But I got to tell you, sleep 
is the number one thing that increases your cellular health and your longevity and even more important than how long you live, how well you live. And talk about the relationship of sleep to healing. You know, you, you talk about chronic body depletion in the book in several areas, which I would love for you to, you know, articulate about, but the relationship of how sleep helps us heal and restore and regenerate. Yeah. So sleep has an enormous impact on our brain function. So our short-term memory, um, the rapidity with which we can do tasks, um, and also on our immune system. So sleep deprivation actually makes you much more at risk for getting viruses, uh, for example, and cancer. There's all these interesting studies on light exposure at night and increased risk of hormone-dependent cancers, which makes some sense because lights at night disrupt melatonin, which has an impact on our healthy hormonal matrix. So sleep is important both in terms of our ability to function and in terms of our mood. Sleep deprivation makes people anxious, but it also makes people depressed. So if you're really suffering and you're looking for one area to focus on because it can feel overwhelming, try getting a little more sleep. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Dr. Rachel Carlton Abrams. We're talking about her new book, Body Wise, Discovering Your Body's Intelligence for Lifelong Health and Healing. To learn more, please visit www.drrachel.com. And doctor is spelled out on that. On Facebook, Dr. Rachel Abrams, and on Instagram, Dr. Rachel Abrams. Here comes the break. We'll be right back, and that is a promise. Hang on just a minute here. Before we take that break, I want to chat with you about the important intersection of fashion and comfort. As a busy, style-conscious professional, I always want to look my best, whether I'm meeting with clients, running errands, or on the road traveling. And that's why today's episode sponsor, Beta Brand, hits that mark spot on with dress pant yoga pants. I'm a huge fan of Beta Brand's designer bottoms that come in dozens of styles and colors. These pants are super comfy, perfectly stretchy, and stay wrinkle-free. And the best part is they perform well and make my backside look great. I've got several pairs of these dream boats. Dress pant yoga pants have all the style of traditional dress pants, plus all the flexibility and comfort of your favorite yoga wear. Whatever your style, Beta Brand has pants to match. Dress pant yoga pants come in boot cut, straight leg, skinny cropped, and more. And right now, our listeners can get 20% off their first order when you go to betabrand.com slash happiness. That's 20% off your first order at betabrand.com slash happiness. Millions of women agree that these are the most comfortable pants you'll ever wear to work. Go to betabrand.com slash happiness for 20% off. Now here comes the break. We'll be right back, and that is a guarantee. To learn more about cultivating sustainable well-being at home and the office, visit harvestinghappiness.com and explore Lisa's experiential on-site brain fitness workshops, corporate programming, and speaking engagement services. We are back talking about a new holistic path to healing and lifelong vitality with my guest, Dr. Rachel Carlton Abrams. Let's return to the conversation. And prior to the break, Rachel was talking about sleep deprivation and its effects upon our body, including but not limited to propensity for depression. So I would love, Rachel, for you to talk a little bit more about that and then other areas of chronic body depletion. Sure. So, you know, I talk about chronic body depletion in BodyWise because so many people that come to see me, they don't have a Western medicine diagnosis. They're exhausted. They've got some form of chronic pain, headaches or neck pain or, you know, ongoing abdominal digestive pain, low libido, anxiety or depression, allergies or autoimmune disease. And, I, you know, these are not, even though they're separate Uh, entities as described in the body, they all have common causes and sleep deprivation absolutely causes all of them. So, you know, the first thing I talk to somebody about who is anxious, depressed or fatigued, for example, (laughs) is their sleep Um, because sleep deprivation drives all three of those things. And until we fix the sleep, we can't get to some of the other underlying causes, which whether that's 
nutritional uh, issues, um, poor diet, also a big issue here. Um, and wow, I just have to say, I looked at the recent stats on anxiety and depression in our country, and it is frightening. It's never been as high as it is now. And one out of four women in the U.S. are on antidepressants. Whoa. Shocking. It's shocking. And here's the other thing that's really frustrating about it. The antidepressants don't work very well. They don't work any better than placebo for mild depression. And they're only effective for moderate to severe depression for a short period of time, like six months. And guess what works better than those drugs? Exercise. <laughs> so, yes. You know, just to get to another one of the fundamentals of health. So people who exercise regularly, and I, I actually like to use the word movement rather than exercise because people think of a gym and barbells and things that are unappealing to them. You know, yard work is exercise. Walking is exercise. It doesn't have to be fancy. You know, and if, again, you think about the physiology we were born into. We were made to be hiking, walking, carrying, farming, bending, plowing, you know, doing things, picking up kids all day long. That's good physical activity. And when you are physically active, much less risk of depression and much less risk of anxiety. And interestingly, people who are active are actually less fatigued, not more fatigued with only one exception. And that's people with chronic fatigue disorder. Yeah, it's interesting. I want to just make one point here. Um, many of us say, oh, I'm so tired. I, I just don't have the energy to go out and, and, and take a walk or go to a yoga class or go for a swim. And the reality is when we push ourselves a little bit and we do it, we inevitably have this little energy burst afterward. Yeah, but it is this subtle conversation, isn't it? So this really gets to the heart of BodyWise because there are some folks in that place who push themselves but then they're even more exhausted and tired because they already had depletion of their, their adrenal function from chronic stress. And then pushing themselves is actually the problem in the first place, right? And then there, there are folks who are relatively well-balanced and their adrenals are quite normal and maybe just making the effort to go for that walk or go to the gym or, or do a yoga class or whatever it is really does help with energy. So, But there's no single prescription for this. You really have to listen to your own body and nobody else can tell you, is it a good idea? Is it not a good idea for me to go, you know, to the gym today? And, you know, sometimes the answer is maybe I should do some stretching instead or some yoga or some Tai Chi or something that's just a little mellower and more like a moving meditation. And, you know, it's different for all of us all the time. And I would also say, Lisa, as someone who's in my 50s, that this has been really changing over my lifespan, too, and really dependent on my circumstance and the age of my body. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about being in our 50s, the ripe, juicy middle of it all. And the misnomers that people have been led to believe happens in our 50s or menopausal. Well, I mean, here's something I would say just as an observer of humans, which is that in the 50s is when all, you know, if you've had bad life practices for health, like you eat terrible food, you don't sleep enough, you drink too much, you smoke, you know, you're in a, a somewhat toxic emotional environment, chosen or not chosen, it starts to show in a variety of ways. And that's why people start to have heart attacks in their 50s. And people who have, you know, tried their best. And again, we don't have control over our life circumstances all the time. Absolutely. There are people born into economic stress, um, you know, who experience racism, who have, have stresses they can't control. But, you know, the better you take care of yourself when you get to your 50s, you're actually, I feel stronger now than I have been since I was 18 years old. And that, that is honest. You know, I have actually, um, my kids have left home. We were just talking about the joys of that. Congratulations if you happen to be on your way to that. Um, wow, how awesome is this new life? But I'm physically, from a musculoskeletal point of view, stronger than I've been since I was 18 years old. And that's because I have more time and I have a little more attention and I've gotten more body-wise. So I don't do the stupid stuff I used to do when I was younger, which is push myself too hard and get hurt and then not be able to exercise. And, you know, I'm being gentle and careful as I, as I move forward. Let's talk a little bit about doing less as well, because I think one of the greatest gifts that I've been able to give myself since my kids have gone off to college is slowing the pace down a little bit. That doesn't mean I'm not working hard and doing everything I need to do, but kind of shifting up and recognizing that 
I don't have to race as much. Yeah. And what was the point of that anyway? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, I mean, and I think this is the extremely undersold wisdom of the second half of life, which is that there is this arc of of human development. And there are there really is a wisdom that comes over you when you struggle with those, oh my God, I had all these dreams and did I meet them and did I not meet them? And maybe I met these, but not others. And how do I feel about myself? And while maybe I could just love and accept myself as I am right now, doing what I'm doing. And yeah, maybe I didn't do that thing I wanted to, but you know, do I really need that? Probably not. Just like coming to a much greater place of acceptance and gratitude with what is, you know, turns out to be amazingly freeing and really good for the soul. Let's talk a little bit about libido. And, you know, you and I had this conversation before we we started on the actual interview about libido as it changes, or does it really need to change as we age? Can it get better? Oh, it can definitely get better. Yeah, I I think so too. (laughs) It can definitely get better. So, you know, that said, there are hormonal causes of low libido and one of them is menopause. And there are quite a few women who do have a lower libido around the menopausal transition. And that's okay and normal. And typically of all as well, sex is still fun. And, you know, it there is definitely a positive feedback loop of sex, which is if you choose to have good sex, that you're going to want more sex next time and your body's going to be more prepared. And by the way, you know, sex and orgasm increases estrogen, testosterone, prolactin, oxytocin, all these favorable hormones for mood and calm and adrenal rest. (laughs) So sex is actually really good for you. And after menopause, a lot of women get their desire back. And that is such a beautiful thing. And I would say that if you struggle with that, that there's a lot of wisdom on this topic. Um, I've also written books on sexuality if you're interested. And men also can have lower libido with age. More typically, as long as testosterone is strong, so sometimes it's a hormonal thing and that actually can be dealt with if you see your doctor. But more typically, men have erections that are less stable and that can be frustrating for men. But there's a lot to be done about that too, including shifting our outlook about what we expect sex to be because there's many, many, many options. It's uh, it's a chance to actually explore and open up your ideas of what being sexually active means. And that leads me to really the point of connection and relationship and nourishing the heart, which is another one of your body wisdom points for healing. Yes. And, you know, uh, the most powerful thing for your health that exists is loving relationship. It's more important than how you eat. It's more important than whether you exercise. It's more important than whether you sleep. If you have loving relationship in your life, and it doesn't have to be romantic, it can be your best friends. It can be the community that you are a part of. It can be, you know, children or grandchildren that you nurture. But relationship is good for the human. We are not lone animals like, you know, the big cats. We are actually pack animals like dogs. We are supposed to be with other animals and affection, hugs, love, and yes, sex, if you have the opportunity to have it, has this wonderful impact on our neurotransmitters, on our hormones, on our inflammatory levels. It's just healthy for the human. And when you talk about inflammatory levels, how does that tie into our immune system? The active immune system is what increases inflammation and we want it to. So it's intended to be available to fight off bacteria, viruses, parasites, you know, invaders into the body. So we need inflammation. The issue is we live in a culture, as I said, where the human animal is not well placed. Infections are less of an issue in our culture than they used to be 10,000 years ago, but the immune system is still pretty active. And now, unfortunately, because we're depleting our intestinal microbiome, the healthy bacteria in our gut, we have Uh, inappropriate reactions of the immune system. So allergy and autoimmune disease, which I also talk about in BodyWise quite a bit, extremely increased levels of that all over the world right now in humans. And inflammation is an an unintended uh, consequence of an overactive immune system. And it can cause uh, everything from cancer to arthritis to heart disease. And where's the fix? Dr. Rachel, where is the fix? (laughs) So did I mention sleep already? Um, (laughs) Yeah. uh, Anti-inflammatory diet. Just think of it as eating a lot of colors 
because the colors are actually the anti-inflammatory components. So that's, you know, red peppers and green broccoli and by the way, tea and coffee because they're dark and chocolate for the same reason. So brightly colored fruits and vegetables, nobody, no matter what their crazy diet ideas is going to disagree with eating fruits and vegetables. And then, you know, having a little more calm in your life. So we live in a kind of a nutty culture. So you actually have to make an oasis of peace for yourself in whatever way works for you. I don't work for 24 hours, one day a week. Uh, you and I talked about this, Lisa. I happen to be Jewish, so it's a Sabbath. But the Sabbath is a very old idea, and it's not just in Judaism. You can take a day off and get away from your electronics and you know, be in nature and eat good food and be with your friends and create a moment for your adrenal glands to calm down and rest so that your immune system in your body is ready to go. Yeah, it's that's the balance, right? It goes back to living a balanced life in, in all the areas that you speak of, you know, how we're taking care of our bodies, our sleep, our movement, the connection we have with our loved ones. And then finally, you know, purpose and meaning. And I think this is under discussed in the medical community. It's spoken of in psychology, certainly it's spoken of in a spiritual aspect, but how it contributes to our physiological health is never really talked about. And it actually has a physiologic effect. So people who have a sense of purpose, and it does not to be, need to be a big, uh, you know, like, oh, I'm going to, I mean, I have a friend who is trying to end slavery in the world. Okay, that's wow. big. That's, that's big. Purpose. Um, but it doesn't have to be like that. It really can be, I want to be a great dad, or I want to, you know, nurture this piece of land that I'm on, or I want to, you know, serve my work in a way that makes an impact in the world. You know, it doesn't have to, it, it can be something very specific to you, but people with a sense of purpose have fewer heart attacks, they get less cancer. Um, you know, the immune system works better because again, there is a reason to be alive. I mean, part of what's so debilitating physically about depression is that people lose that sense of there is a reason for me to be here, yeah. that it matters that I'm here. And everyone needs that. And I think we see this most clearly in folks who are over 60, I would say, both because our society doesn't honor our elders in the way that we should. And because people are isolated because uh, the way community is formed has kind of fallen apart in our culture. But an elder with a sense of purpose Wow, you know, what a different way of living. My mentor, Gladys McGarry, she's the mother of holistic medicine. She just gave a, a keynote address to 900 people at our annual conference. She's 97. <laughs> That's incredible. Wow. <laughs> that, how fabulous is that? Yeah. Yeah. Purpose. Purpose. A huge sense of purpose. Yeah. And, and, and purpose is, um, purpose is a good antidepressant also. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in fact, you know, I happen to have the privilege of knowing Desmond Tutu, and he is one of my favorite humans. And he is incredible in his ability to witness and absorb horrible tragedy, yeah. be present. You know, he cries, he processes it, but he has this really gorgeous sense of purpose of why he's here and what he could, the peace or the even sense of humor that he can bring to these situations that help people heal their hearts. We are out of time. I want to send our listeners to run out and buy BodyWise, Discovering Your Body's Intelligence for Lifelong Health and Healing. My guest and the author of BodyWise has been Dr. Rachel Carlton Abrams. To learn more, please visit www.drrachel.com. On Facebook, that page is Dr. Rachel Abrams. And on Instagram, she can also be found at Dr. Rachel Abrams. Rachel, come back and hang out with me. We have so much more to talk about. So excited about it. <laughs> me too. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. Did you know that happiness is actually good for your health? Happy people live longer, are more productive, and make better partners, parents, and professionals. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration.
Welcome back to the show. If you're just joining us now, we're talking about a new holistic path to healing and lifelong vitality. My next guest is Stephanie Arend. Stephanie Arend is an internationally known yin yoga instructor, holistic health practitioner, nutritionist, and energy worker. Through many years of study, teacher trainings, and developing her own studio, Stephanie came across yin yoga and fell in love with the functional approach. She resides presently in Germany with her husband and their two children. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here because, as I mentioned to you in our prior conversation, I have recently taken up yin yoga as part of a multi-decades-long practice and have been pleasantly surprised by what I thought would be slow and boring <laughs> to be something quite different. Absolutely. Yeah, it is slow, but it shouldn't be boring. <laughs> Talk a little bit about how yin yoga differs from other types of yoga. It's a very gentle kind of practice, and we hold the poses for much longer than in an active kind of practice. We usually hold the poses for three to five minutes, and we do that in a passive way. That means we don't activate our muscles, but we just sink into the poses, and we try to stay as passive as possible. And then to become an observer of yourself, of your own body, of your own mind, of your breath, and... That's why it's actually never boring because there is so much going on there which you can observe while you are being in the pose. So it's kind of like a meditation, um, but like a moving meditation, a very slow way of movement. And the benefits in my own experience are that the body gets to work with itself to release and to, and to deepen into the poses. Absolutely. We do use props a lot. For the poses which might be a little bit harder, then we use yoga blocks, yoga bolsters, pillows, whatever fits for you to make it easier to let go. What are the origins of yin yoga? Actually, yin yoga is already very old. In the ancient, ancient writings of yoga, yin was actually already in there, but it wasn't called yin. It was just some um, gentle poses which were also practiced there back then. And yin yoga, as we know it today, came from Paul Grilly, who had Polly Zink as his teacher, where he got in touch with the first yin poses. But what Paul Grilly did was he combined it with a knowledge of the meridians from traditional Chinese medicine and the individual anatomy of a person. And that's how we know yin yoga today. For those of us who have a more uh, vigorous practice, like you and I had talked about, you know, being that person that needed to go to a sweaty yoga class or a hot yoga class and feel as, as though one is getting a full workout, what would be the difference in one's experience when walking into a yin yoga class? I would say it's the missing link. <laughs> I, yeah, I have also practiced all kinds of young exercises for about 35 years, but I felt there is something missing. And that's that was the yin energy, which was missing in my practice. I always loved the yang type of energy, but the yin where you just release into a pose and you focus on the fascia and not so much on the muscles, that's the missing link. And when we have both of them in balance, then our body will thank us. Because I, from my own experience, when I um, did all that young stuff, I had quite a bit of pain in my body. I had knee pain, I had back pain, and my body wasn't in balance because I did way too much young and um, yin was just the missing part. And ever since I combined both, I'm, I'm pain-free. I can add my own experience with uh, having knee issues and coming into this yin practice as being able to heal, you know, some of my own aches and pains because it, there is the balance. Hmm. What types of common ailments and illnesses can yin yoga help alleviate or reduce? Actually, um, you can use yin yoga for all kinds of ailments. Because it's not a treatment like in Western medicine, but traditional Chinese medicine looks at the meridians which are involved in an ailment and we can focus on these meridians through our practice. And we use the poses which focus on these meridians which are necessary to activate the self-healing capacities. 
So for example, somebody who has come to you who is having uh, difficulty with painful menstrual cycle, for example, or wants to conceive a child, um, how might yin be able to be of benefit? Or someone who's going through menopause and has terrible symptoms? That's very common that these women come to yin yoga and it can be such a great relief during that time. And then we just check for a few more symptoms and then um, it's, it's really individual. You cannot generalize it for all people. And then we see what meridians we need to focus for let's say menopause or for um, painful um, menstruation. And then that person or that woman can do certain poses, which focus on especially these meridians. In that case, for example, the kidney and liver meridian. So it takes a very scientific approach to the poses. It doesn't have to, but if you want to approach it from a holistic point of view, then this is very helpful. Another common ailment that many people complain of is sciatic or the belief that they are uh, having distress in the sciatic nerve, but it ends up being something else, maybe in the hip flexor or some other part in that area. How does yin support the release in that area? It might be due to our fascia that this is where the pain comes from. For example, when our fascia gets really stiff, if we never um, train our fascia or when we have cross links in the fascia, that means when the fascia is um, loses its um, suppleness. And that can oftentimes lead to pain because we have so many nerve endings in our fascia. And once that gets stretched out again, uh, it can be so very helpful, even though we didn't really focus on the sciatica. You've written several books on yoga. This is just one of six. What has taken you on the journey? What inspired you to begin writing about yoga, which is very different from the practice of it? Yeah, it wasn't actually really my plan, but I did so many yoga teacher trainings. And um, when I finally came across yin yoga, I knew that I had arrived, that I finally found what I had been looking for for so long. And on the last day of the teacher training, I just thought, oh, gosh, I have to write all of this down because I do not want to forget a single thing about what I just learned. And then it was actually just for my own notes. But when I got done, I thought, wow, that could actually be a book. <laughs> and so I sent it to a publisher and they said, OK, we never heard of yin yoga. We have no idea but what, uh, what that is, but we'll give it a go. And then it became a bestseller. And then I just kept on writing because people wanted to know more and more about the practice. Prior to becoming a yoga instructor, you had a very different life and career. And I'd love for you to share a little bit about your journey from there to here? Yes. <laughs> I, I actually had an office job. I um, studied foreign languages and I worked as a translator at the office. And it was fun, but I spent most of the day in front of the computer. And um, when I gave birth to my first daughter, I thought, I don't want to go back to an office job. I want to do something where I can help and touch people on, and help them on their, on their healing journeys. And then I thought, okay, I'll start all over again. And then I totally dove into um, the practice of yoga and nutrition and all health-related topics. And yeah, I just didn't want to spend my time in front of a computer anymore. I just wanted to work with people. And then you started teaching yoga after the birth of your second child? Exactly. And talk a little bit about what that teaching experience was like and how you ended up opening your own studio. Actually, it took me a while to get into yoga because I was very much into martial arts and I didn't really resonate with yoga because I imagined it to be completely different than what I really experienced it to be. But my mom, she um, did yoga before I did. And she just kept on begging me. And she said, you have to go there. I know that this is the right thing for you. And um, I did. After a while, I did go um, because she just didn't quit. <laughs> and after the first class, I thought, wow, she was so right. And then I totally dove into it. It didn't even take long before I took my first teacher training because I wanted to learn all about it. And then I did that for many years. And then I thought, okay. I want to open up my first studio now and um, 
yeah, show the people what I learned and I want to learn from the people as well, because that's really when it starts. When you start to, to teach yoga, that's really when the journey starts where you can learn so much, so much more than just in the trainings. Talk about the experience of owning a studio and watching the evolution of your students. You know, when they come through the door with, with aches and pains, and then you start to see them heal themselves. Oh, it was so fulfilling. At first, they were kind of skeptical because nobody really knew what yoga was then. But then they opened up more and more and they were so trustful and they trusted their bodies. And they came for so many years and they a lot of them didn't even skip a single yoga class because they just said, I'm looking forward to this the whole week. This is doing me so well and I totally enjoy it. And I, I had so many, I can tell so many stories about what these people experienced in that time on their, on their paths to self-healing. It was just incredible and very, very touching. Can you give a couple of examples of a, a big transformation? Well, the one which probably touched me the most was a woman I didn't even work with personally, but she came across one of my DVDs and um, she called me and said, I just called to say thank you because I am in a wheelchair and I have been for about 10 years and I'm in terrible pain and none of my therapists could really help me. And then I came across your DVD and I... Um, tried to adapt the poses because I'm in a wheelchair. I cannot do it the way you do it in the DVD. And I found my ways to adapt it. And that was the first thing that really helped me get out of the pain. Wow. And wow, I was, I was wow. <laughs> yeah, like crying because I couldn't believe it. She just called to let me know what happened and just to say thank you. And I would have never expected something like that to happen. That was, that was really deep for me. Wow. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with my guest today, Stephanie Arend, to learn more about her and her work, as well as the book, Be Healthy with Yin Yoga, The Gentle Way to Free Your Body of Everyday Ailments and Emotional Stresses. To learn more, please visit www.yinyoga.de slash en. Once again, that's yinyoga.de slash en. And the en is for the English site of the German website. On Facebook, you can connect at Yin Yoga Germany and on Instagram, Stephanie Aaron. That's A-R-E-N-D. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. Who says money can't buy happiness? Whether you are a skeptic or seeker, check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life. A boot camp manual for greater emotional fitness is available at Barnes & Noble. Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Here's a truth bomb. Emotions are contagious, and happiness is a universally desired state. But we tend to forget that we all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstances. Explore the journey of human happiness, how to find it and keep it, with Lisa's documentary film, H-Factor. Where is your heart? Visit HarvestingHappiness.com to learn more. Continuing the conversation with Stephanie Aaron, we're talking about a new holistic path to healing and lifelong vitality. Let's rejoin the conversation. In the segment prior, we were talking a little bit about the origins of yin yoga, what the practice is helpful for. And I'd love to turn and Stephanie's story as to how she became a yoga teacher. I'd like to now, Stephanie, talk a little bit about some of the other books that you have written because they are on yin yoga, but they each have subtleties that are worth discussing. Yes, I have written six books altogether. And the first one was the basic yin yoga book, what I learned in my um, teacher training with Paul Grilly. Then I had a book about yin yoga and fascia, which focuses more on the exercises you can do specifically for your fascia. 
Then I have one um, detox with yin and yang yoga, which also contains some yang poses and also a background on nutrition and how you can detox your body. And yeah, then I have one on the Surya Namaskar, the different um, sense salutes, uh, also in yin and yang variations. And one where, which is just really a small book, which is called Hotel Room Yoga. And <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, and that uh, that was uh, when I when I stayed at a hotel, and my room was so tiny I couldn't even roll out my yoga mat there. And then I thought, okay, what can I do to practice my yoga in here? And then I came up with some funny exercises which I put into that book. <laughs> oh, that's really really funny. And you also have three DVDs. Talk a little bit about the the DVD series and the uh, languages that they are available in. So far, only in German. There are yin and yang DVDs, but they focus mainly on yin yoga. But it is my plan next year to do an online um, platform where I can stream videos because DVDs are not that popular anymore. A lot of people ask for streaming, and that's my plan for next year. You also have a YouTube channel. T- tell us the name of that channel and what one can find there. You can find it if you type in my name, Stephanie Arendt, and Stephanie is with an F, not PH. And um, you find you can find classes there, but also um, on the back things about the background of Yin Yoga and other health-related topics, and yes, yeah, some coaching overall. And are there classes? Can somebody go and have an experience with you on the YouTube channel? Yes, for sure. Mm-hmm. Fabulous. Oh, that's, that's very exciting. And that's a freebie. That's come on over and learn about yin yoga for free, which is wonderful. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> um, let's talk about breathing and how the importance of breath work plays into all practices, not just yin yoga. It's the everything. Yeah, it's uh, breath work is an elixir of life. It's it's an anchor. I love to teach um, different kinds of breath works because the breath is always with us. If we, for example, if we have the feeling, okay, there is a panic attack coming up and I don't know what to do, you always have your breath with you. And if you focus on your breath, you cannot forget that at home. You cannot say, gosh, I don't have that with me. You always have it with you. And when you focus on the breath, you are in the present. And that is so helpful for many situations. And also in the practice, of course, it makes it so much deeper if you focus on the breath. Take us through a very simple practice for when we would get activated. You know, say we've had a very, very stressful day. We're sitting in traffic. By the time we walk through the door, we're hyperventilating. We want to, you know, rip our kids' heads off, you know, screaming at them. How might we ground ourselves through the use of a breath practice? In that case, we would focus more on the out-breath and we um, try to make breathing out longer than breathing in. And if I breathe in longer, it's more activating. If I breathe out longer, it's more calming. So wherever you stand, that depends on how long you can try it. If you can make a double, that'd be awesome. For example, four seconds in, eight seconds out, but a lot of people are not able to do that, then try to do at least five or six seconds out. So the out breath is a little bit longer than the in breath, and that has a calming um, effect. Because it slows uh, blood pressure and heart rate? Is that why? Or Yeah, exactly. And in that way, it also calms down the nervous system. So take us through. Take us through a process. Guide us. For the breathing exercise? Yes. yes. All right. Where, wherever you are now, mm-hmm. if you maybe you can close your eyes to connect more with your breath, but please not when you are in a car. Then, <laughs> of course, leave your eyes open. We like the disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> and then just let your breath come in very gentle and count your breath. How long do you breathe in? If you want to, you can hold it for a moment and now breathe out. Breathe out as long as it feels comfortable to you. And if you like, you can also hold it for a little moment here and then feel your next breath come in again. Very gentle, no pushing. 
and out again when you're ready. And feel just by observing your breath, how you already become more and more calm. It's nothing more you have to do. It's nothing you have to achieve. There's nobody you have to impress. You just stay with your breath and enjoy your own breath. One more time, breathe in. And out. Make it a little bit longer if you can. And then let your breath just flow naturally in and out and see if it has already changed. Maybe it is easier now for you to breathe in and out. Maybe your breath has calmed down. Maybe it's deeper. Just observe. That's one way you can connect with your breath. There are many other ways, but that's the simplest one, I would say. Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's portable. It's free. It's nonviolent. You know, it's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it gives a sense of peace and well-being on the spot. Yes, absolutely. Which is the beauty of all of the yogic practices, you know, the, mm -hmm. that you write about, that you've been teaching. Thank you so much for being my guest today, we've been talking with author and yoga teacher Stephanie Arendt about her latest book, Be Healthy with Yin Yoga, The Gentle Way to Free Your Body of Everyday Ailments and Emotional Stresses. To learn more about Stephanie and her work, please visit her website, www.yinyoga.de slash en. Once again, that's www.yinyoga.de slash en. You can connect with Stephanie on Facebook at Yin Yoga Germany and on Instagram at Stephanie Aaron. And as, as Stephanie mentioned, it's Stephanie with an F and Aaron is A-R-E-N-D. Or go to the YouTube channel to view videos and experience a Yin Yoga class for free. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. It was uh, a pleasure. A pleasure. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guests today, Dr. Rachel Carlton Abrams and Stephanie Arend, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes via our free app or from our libraries at toginet.com, iTunes, Google Play, and other fine podcast platforms. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit harvestinghappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio. KBUURadioMalibu.net and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.